We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today joining us is Donnie Aldine, who's the editor-in-chief of Cultures Magazine. Let's jump in and get to know Donnie. Donnie, welcome. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm so excited to be here with you too. Oh, we're thrilled to have you and spend a little bit of time with you too, because you just got back. I just got back. <laughs> I mean, just got back. back. Like you t- literally just landed. <laughs> Donnie, can you tell us a little bit about where you've been the last two months and then even before that? Yeah. So the last six weeks I was in Peru, all over Peru, but mostly in Lima. My apartment was in Lima. And then I traveled to different places. Of course, you have to do Machu Picchu when you go to Peru, which was next level. And also Rainbow Mountain. So I normally am based in Colorado and we do 14ers in Colorado, hiking 14ers, which that's a thing. People try to collect them. How many did they go up because they're 14,000 feet high? Little did I know, I had no idea because I didn't do the research ahead of time, which is how I like to travel. 17,000 feet high to Rainbow Mountain. And we actually saw someone who almost died at the bottom. So it was no joke. It was no joke. And then before that, I was in Colombia for two months and went all over Colombia. And man, in both places, when we talk about Minority Report, just the culture and the history, and I'm sure we get into it. You and I have spoken that I'm South American and Central American. And so it was just such a pleasure to see the diversity and see it from a different perspective because it's very different than from a U.S. perspective. So yes, that's where yeah. Donnie, did I just hear you say you don't like to prepare before you travel? Is oh, that- heck no. I just roll oh. out. I just roll out. <laughs> I don't I don't think you and I could travel together because I'm the over preparer. And I would be like, oh my God, what's he doing? What is he doing? It's like Carell, we won't need these pair of shoes. Oh uh, god. We won't need these. I, I, I'm no. certainly the overpacker too. Yeah. No, so I've, that been, is I've been traveling since I was two weeks old. So I was gone for two months the first time. Well, we won't count the first time because I took equipment, but the second time. I packed for six weeks in a carry-on and I did that in 10 minutes. Amazing. (laughs) Sometimes you show up somewhere and you can figure it out while you're there, right? That's the point. That is the whole point. That's the excitement. Well, here's what the deal is. To me, travel is about the people, right? It's about, so as I mentioned, I've been traveling since I was two weeks old. Culture is such a huge part of me and of, Mm -hmm. of my life and of what I do for a career. And that is about people. Right. And so I got to say, these last two trips, I was with other people because the end of COVID and all that great stuff. So it was something new and different for me, too. And I got to say, that was exciting. Like, I usually don't go like Machu Picchu. I don't go see the sites. I don't rack up things on my bucket list. That's what people usually assume that you're Mm -hmm. traveling for. I literally travel just to experience people, experience languages, experience culture, food, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's why I roll out, Corel. And and you get the (laughs) best experiences, though now I have the best of both worlds. I know what it's like to plan a little bit, which I think is nerve wracking. It's too much, too much. So maybe, yeah. maybe we would travel well together because you could do the planning and I would. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Balance. Nice. Yeah, there you go. You mentioned you've been traveling since a very, very, very young age. And I have to imagine that that travel and those different experiences have had a major impact on who you are and shaping who you are today. And I'm yeah. curious to get your thoughts on that because we had a guest on the podcast a couple months ago. 
And he said that travel is one of the greatest gifts that a parent could give to a child. And I'm curious to get your perspective on that. So I would say, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but as you and I discussed, I'm actually what's called a third culture kid scholar. So I also teach at university in journalism and I teach what's called media and global culture identity. Okay. So it would depend, I think, on what that person means by travel. So you heard what my definition of travel is, right? There are many people who are called third culture kids, which is part of the audience for our magazine. And they are people who before the age of 18, so before they form their identity, have lived in multiple cultures in multiple countries. There's also a domestic third culture kid, which has lived in multiple places within one country. That has an effect as well. But out of those people, some like me love it and enjoyed their experiences. Others, it really shapes them negatively or it affects them negatively, or they spend a lifetime trying to overcome the effects. There's a lot to it. And when I say third culture kid and the way I grew up, first of all, short answer to that question is yes, I agree that it gives you a wealth I think, a wealth of just skill and open-mindedness and flexibility. So many things come from travel. Mm. I would assume the person who said that also meant that they live in one place and they travel like on vacation, right? Yeah. yeah. Most of the people that I cater to in, in my audience, they travel and live. So they're moving to new places every couple of years, right? Uh, okay. And that is what has an effect on them. So typically they do love the great things about it, the meeting, the new people. But sometimes, I mean, if you're young or if you're shy, I'm actually, believe it or not, a massive introvert. Mm. No one ever believes that. I mean, I'm gregarious. I'm outgoing. I wonder if that's because of how I grew up. I was always in a different place. So you have to make friends quickly, right? You got to learn how to do that, right? But then I have to go back and replenish myself by myself. So anyway, I would say it depends, but there's nothing like travel to open your mind and to expand your skill set, no matter how old you are. And you raise an interesting point too. Sometimes people may be referring to international travel, right? And there are so many folks who haven't even traveled, like, let's just say here in the United States, yeah. have no idea yes. what this large country looks like. Yes. And never gone to go see what it looks like somewhere else. So you raise an interesting point. What does travel sort of mean to the beholder, right? And to, the, yes. to that person. So Donnie, I want to ask you about you and you sometimes in Colorado, sometimes in South America, but where, <laughs> but where, where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about about your family and your parents. Okay. So where did I grow up? Gosh. Okay. Let me see if I can get the proper list. I grew up in multiple states in the U.S., Trinidad and Tobago. My father's Costa Rican. My mom is Trinidadian. Spain, Turkey, Germany. I went to college. Uh, I feel like I'm missing something. London, my grandmother was in for 20 years. She got her nursing degree there, which I found out recently that was a thing, like Trinidadian nurses. Because Trinidad and Tobago was, a, I think it still is a British Commonwealth, though it's independent now, but it used to be ruled by Britain, right? And so I guess that was a thing for a lot of Trinidadians to mm -hmm. go study in London, right? And she ended up in New York City and 
very inspirational. When I was younger, I wanted to be a nurse for the longest time because of my grandmother. I think I got them all. I grew up in basically on five continents in seven cultures. And technically it's four continents, but I count Central America as if it's a continent. So mm-hmm. I say five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Something. Thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's not yeah. fair. It's why yeah, yeah. why do you not get anything? It's just like a ribbon in between two continents, right? <laughs> An isthmus as they is the official term. So you know. yeah. tell us about some of your, your sort of cultural background and your parents. Tell us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so them. my mom from Trinidad and Tobago. I was born in New York City, Kings County Hospital at two weeks. And it only recently, like in the last couple of years, that I know I started traveling at two two weeks. I always thought it was at two months. My mom heard me say that to someone and she's like, two months? Like, what are you talking about? You were two weeks old. And I was like, okay, great. Even better. (laughs) And when I was 17, one of my Trinidadian cousins, when I was in Trinidad, so I lived in Trinidad a lot from two months to age four years. And then I went to Spain. Then again at 11. And then I went back periodically, right? Mm -hmm. So at 17, one of my older cousins was telling me, that my first accent was Trinidadian. Now they call me a Yankee, right? Because of how I found, but my first accent was Trinidadian. I got to say, before I finish answering the question, which we'll talk about my dad, and this will segue right into it. In Colombia, everybody would think I was Colombian, right? They would ask me, are you Colombiano? And, And that made me beam. And then in Peru, they often asked me if I was Colombian or Brazilian, so I, th- I found that interesting. More people mm. asked me if I was Brazilian in Colombia. So that segues into my father, who's Costa Rican. And he was just a very proud Costa Rican. His native tongue was Spanish. And both of my parents have these beautiful accents, just like this little lilt in this way of speaking that's just very elegant. And I love that about both mm. of them. And uh, it was interesting in Peru, I was speaking Spanish. And someone said, a Peruvian said to me, oh, I could tell that you're from different places because you don't have the typical U.S. accent when you speak. And I even get that here sometimes. And every once in a while, a word will come out all wonky when I'm talking. And, you know, depending on what culture, depending on who I'm speaking with, depending on who I'm on the phone with, what I'm doing, if what I just heard on the radio or television, like an accent will come out that I didn't Mm -hmm. invent. (laughs) Start to mirror it a little bit. If you notice, that's one of Oprah Winfrey's great skills that sometimes it might seem like she's mocking, but if she's interviewing someone, she'll mirror them, their accents, their mannerisms, whatever. And I think that's one of the great skills of third culture kids or TCKs. You just learn, I think subconsciously, you learn to do that because you have to make friends quickly when you move so often, right? Mm -hmm. And that's one way that people relate to you. They feel like you're like them when you're doing the same thing, same gestures, same movements, same accent, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, um, that's, that's the background. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about your career background because mm-hmm. you've worked for some great, great companies. And I want to ask you about how you got started down your career path. Tell us a little bit about that. So funny enough. So I told you a little bit about my grandmother who's the nurse or was the nurse and Trinidad and any Caribbean family is just like any African family, any Indian family, any Chinese family is like, okay, you could be one of four things, a doctor, (laughs) an engineer, uh, you know, those, I'm sure you've heard that before. And of course, when I'm little, I didn't necessarily know that because I grew up all around. I didn't just grow up on the island, right? But somewhere, somehow I knew that 
being a doctor would make them proud. And I also was, I loved science, loved, loved, loved science. So from eighth grade, that's all I studied was science. And undergrad, how I got to Colorado is my mom was pregnant with my little brothers who are twins and they didn't want her to, to have them in Turkey. And I remember we went and toured the hospital. <laughs> oh God, it was scary. And they were like, yeah, we don't think you could do this here with two babies. <laughs> so on the flight, on the way from Turkey, we landed in Denver. She went into labor. Some strangers took my older brother one way. Who knows where he went to this day? I'm, I'm actually should ask him that. I don't know where he went. And some strangers took me away. My mom went to the hospital. I think she was in the hospital for a month. Yeah, because that's when we came, all came back together, right? And talk about, this was an island thing too, uh, just being obedient. Somebody tells you to go, you just go, right? So <laughs> you just go. But now I look back, it's like, yeah, I didn't know where any of my family were. My little brothers were in incubators for six months. So I wanted to be a doctor and ended up in Colorado because that's how we landed here. And we stayed here until my little brothers got better. My entire family left and left me here. Right. Because I was in high school. My mom didn't want me to switch high schools. She asked me which of my friends would I want to stay with. And I asked one of my friend's families and it was kind of like a boarding situation. Ended up spending high school with them. And always I'm like, I'm going back to New York. I'm going back to New York. I can't believe I'm here. And then I went to a science program. I, I worked in the pathology lab at Colorado State University for a summer as a junior. Fell in love. No, Nobody told me you fall in love with the first campus you go to, right? Like you don't know any better. You're like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. So I fell in love with Colorado State. And then now all of a sudden I wanted to go to Colorado State, right? Which is the intention of the summer program. So I came as a microbiology major. And by senior year of college, so many people had told me, you don't want to be a doctor because being a doctor, it was changing. And now I see, I see what they foresaw then. Like it's changed so much since I was younger. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? This is all I've focused on since eighth grade. And I took a test. They said, you'd be great at PR. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, let me take some PR classes. This is as a senior now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I took some PR classes and uh, loved it. And it was in the journalism department. And that's how this all started. So all mm-hmm. my science credits went into one bucket as a, like a, um, I forget what that's called, almost like a minor. And then that's how my journalism career started. And I've been doing PR and journalism, then switched to marketing, got an MBA in marketing. And every once in a while, swing that science in there. So my intention in doing PR was to go into pharmaceuticals, which I did for Johnson & Johnson. And actually the company that now does the J&J vaccine. Oh, is that the one? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's the one shot one. So don't, don't blame me for that. But, uh, but that was the company that I worked for in Johnson and Johnson when I was in pharmaceuticals. So it all worked out in the end. And then I just, I love PR and marketing. I love media and it all came together with my background and how I grew up and the research I like to do. And that's how cultures was born. Tell us a bit more about cultures. Okay. So cultures is for people who are in between. So whether you straddle culture, race, ethnicity, nation, or location. So by nation, we mean a third culture kid, someone who's grown up globally, or location, a domestic third culture kid, meaning you've grown up in multiple places in the same country. So think about it. If you were born in California and you moved to Colorado and Louisiana and Maine and maybe Texas, those are five different cultures within the same country, but you have the same foundation, you know, 
mom and apple pie. We've pledged allegiance to the flag. We, we know what a president is. There's so many things that are similar, but culturally, you've also had to learn how to be fluid amongst these different places. Whereas if you're a third culture kid and you travel internationally, the foundation is now gone. I liken it to growing up on beach sand versus concrete. So instead of having this concrete foundation, the ground underneath you is always shifting. But we also cater to mixed race people, multi-ethnic people like me, and immigrants, refugees, anyone who has global mobility or physical geographical mobility, as well as cultural mobility. That's our cater in who we cater to in culture. So we call those cross-cultural populations. And we celebrate cross-cultural identity because everyone should feel like they matter. And that's important because I run into, especially at the university, I run into so many people where they don't talk about their background, myself included, used to be, don't talk about their background, don't share the background, don't even think about it because they don't think anyone cares. Nobody wants to hear those stories. Nobody wants to know what you did. But that's actually not true. And it's difficult for people to understand you. When you grow up in those cultures, your breadth of experience is so wide. And people who grow up monoculturally tend to have a much, what's the word, not thinner, but you know, uh, a more brief, not as wide set of cultural experiences. So often you understand them in a way that they really can't understand you. And so that's what cultures does. It provides a place for community, a place to feel at home, a place to feel understood. So that's what we do. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what do you love about writing and being the editor in chief? Ah, you know how many people have asked you that about writing? I don't know what I love about writing. I just do it. (laughs) (laughs) I do love being editor-in-chief. I'm really good at writing. And I do love taking something intangible and making it tangible. So like making a story out of air, basically, right? Like something that you can look at and it means something and it makes a difference to someone and it changes their emotion or makes them feel welcome that I love. And the magazine as a whole, same thing. I know I just got off of our meeting with our art director and she loves taking all these intangible things. And at the end of the production, you have this beautiful piece that you can look at and say, oh my gosh, like we made something out of this, right? From the artwork to the photography, to the actual writing from the contributors, even the ads, bringing it all together, just the creativity. And we work hard to make sure that we represent every single population I just told you about. So all the in-between spaces, visually and hidden diversity-wise, right? So visual diversity is what we see and it's phenotypes. It may or may not be correct. Like people see me and they hear me and they assume I'm an African-American woman, but I'm Afro-Latin Caribbean. And that's very different. If you think about it, if you know I'm Afro-Latin Caribbean, you'll know my thinking is different than if had I grown up African-American, right? But the assumption just by looking at me is that I will be X, Y, Z way, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have that visual diversity because it's important to have to represent with people who look like you. But we also have the hidden diversity because that's the point of the magazine. It's people who think like you, people who understand you and stories to which you can relate. So that's what I love about it. No, it's huge. I mean, uh, that topic of sort of hidden diversity. And I want you to tell us a little bit about what you experienced and kind of what you described earlier, just like how different 
you know, sort of the visual diversity was, but let alone the hidden diversity in, in some of the countries and the areas you just traveled. Talk mm-hmm. to us a, a little bit about that, because I don't think that's very uh, sort of widely understood from a lot of folks. Well, I mean, even in the U.S., hidden diversity is huge. I mean, at the university, it's taken me 10 years, I think, for the concept to be widely accepted. Mm. And that's, I think, because we have so far to go on social justice that people are more focused on that. So it seems it seems like it's trivial, right? People also assume it, everyone looks at everything through their own lens. So they assume someone like me has grown up with a lot of privilege Uh, You got to travel to all these countries. You got to do all these things. And they have in their head an imagining of what that's like. But that's on top of their life, right? They don't think of what it would be like to be ripped away from your family, right? To not grow up with your grandparents or your cousins or friends down the street. To constantly have to learn new places, new people. So that's just from a U.S. point of view. Actually, that's for any country because TCKs, there are 328 million people who live outside of their passport countries, and that's all around the globe. So in South America, though, it was really interesting to see how similar and how different things are accepted in the U.S. from a social justice standpoint and how they are in Latin America, right? Because in Latin America, they took the, I guess, road or path where if you're of African descent, you want to try to purify that blood or that look or whatever by mixing with indigenous people, African people, and Spaniards and, and whomever else, Europeans that were in those countries. I think most people don't realize that 70% of the slave trade went through South America before even getting to North America, right? So there's quite a lot of, of dark-skinned people and darker-skinned people in Latin and Central America that people don't think about, right? So that's one thing. And so in the United States, it was the opposite where we have all the anti-miscegenation laws and things to try to keep people separate, right? So two different ways of looking at it. This way, we don't want you to mix with us. We want you to be separate. And then on this side, oh, let's mix it all together because then we'll elevate those people who are lower down to the point, even on our website, we have someone of Chilean Canadian descent who wrote an article about the caste system in Latin America, and they have it broken down by to whom you marry and what status that would give you, right? Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that you see. In Colombia, there's this place called Palenque, which when I came back from Colombia, because I'm, I'm trying to hone my Spanish, I was binge watching this show on Netflix that now ah, I can't believe it. I didn't, I thought I'd have time to watch, finish it, but it's not on Netflix anymore. I'm so distraught. You don't even understand, but It was interesting to see that the places where I was, this was a period piece from the 1800s, and they talked about Palenque, which is a city that enslaved people had escaped slavery or escaped their captors and created their own city, and no one could find it. And it was a subject in this, not documentary, but in this series that I was watching, this period piece. And there's another one, oh, now I've forgotten the name of it, where to this day, If you are not of African descent, you cannot stay overnight in the city. You can come for the day, but you have to have permission by someone who lives there if you're not of African descent to stay at a hotel or to stay at that city overnight. Mm. So yeah, it was really interesting. Or even just go to Cartagena where they have a lot of African and 
Spanish and Middle Eastern culture and food and language. And that's supposedly one of the most diverse cities in Colombia versus Bogota or Medellin, which is where most people come from or most people think about. And those are more, quote unquote, white appearing or Latin cities. It sounds like there's so much to sort of process, you know, really there when you really sort of get below the surface too, to, to truly understand. Yes, yes. And I find it interesting too, what I've learned over time is my experiences in this place, in these places, having a US, a blue passport, like a blue passport is a privilege. And I think a lot of African-American travelers, because of the oppression you experience in the United States, you don't realize that that elevates your stature when you're traveling. So it's not necessarily the same. So I talk to other people who may look like me and their experiences traveling are very different than mine are. Fascinating. And Donnie, I want to ask you about people who have been important in your life. Some call them mentors or uh, just folks who, who've been like really influential. Who are some of your mentors or, you know, or, or yeah. people who've influenced you in your life? Wow, that's a good question. I would have to say my parents, even though, believe it or not, I spent only seven years living with my family. And the only reason I know that, I didn't even realize that until when I was 24, my one of my twin brothers came to live with me. And I'm 14 years older. So when we landed in Colorado, my mom had them. So I was ready in college when they were little. And I remember they would call and they are, you think I talk, man, these, these boys can talk. They would be on the phone. I'd put the phone down, go do some homework, come back. They would still be talking. <laughs> and, but it was great because they just wanted to be on the phone with you, even though they, they did all the talking. And so he was with me and my father had called on the phone. They have a different father than I do. So they don't, they're not Costa Rican. And I said, would you, he's like, that's your dad. And I'm, he's all shocked. And I didn't realize at the moment why he was shocked. And so I said, would you like to talk to him? So we talked to him for a minute. And then I finished talking to my dad. And then after I got off the phone, my brother said, you mean your dad is not my dad? <laughs> mm. And it never occurred to me, right? I was like, oh, whoa. Because I mean, they're just our little brothers. We never saw them as half brothers, nothing. So I was like, yeah, why do you think we call your dad Charles? Like, why would we call him Charles? Call him dad, right? <laughs> so he's like, wow. And then he started peppering me with questions about how I grew up, this and that. And, just kind of, and I was like, dude, I'm busy. Like, why are you bothering me right, right now? But at the end of the conversation, it was an epiphany because if it weren't for him, I didn't realize it started adding up all the time. I'd live with my family over the years and it was only seven years, hmm. right? And with my father, my parents were divorced when I was two. So they are my most influential people, even though I did not spend time with them. So as you know, I am working to be refluent in Spanish. I mean, I, I was fluent in baby Spanish when I was little, but by the end of this year, in tribute to my father who passed away from COVID. And we did a tribute to him in our Time for Change issue last summer. We talked about all the unrest, the civil unrest, the change that was happening around the globe. Also spoke about COVID, did a whole, I think, 20 pages on COVID around the globe. And part of the continuation of that tribute is for me to learn Spanish, which was something I always intended to surprise him with, but of course, always got busy with other things. So now it's a major goal of mine. So he's a big inspiration to me. And just his story of coming from Costa Rica and 
I just recently found out he was in seminary uh, for a long time. So what's interesting is my mother is the lighter skinned one and my father is the darker skinned one. So my little brothers are actually light skinned. My, my older brother and I are darker skinned. And he was denied being a priest because of the color of his skin in Costa Rica. And I didn't know the depth of the pain of that. When you start to really look at your parents and the things they've gone through and how they it affected them. And I think I had the benefit of that though, in the way that he would encourage me to do things. Same with my mother. I often say to younger people, because I look a y- lot younger than I am, that, you know, and even for myself, we don't know what these women have done for us in the previous generations, you know, in my lifetime, in the seventies, women couldn't have a bank account by themselves. They couldn't buy a home by themselves, buy a car by themselves. So we've made so many strides in that. And I think my mom is a product of that, of what's expected in the Catholic religion, what's expected when she's growing up in Trinidad and coming to the United States, what's expected from my father, who's Costa Rican. So again, she has really shaped me in how she spoke about what was possible. So for me, those things were just normal. And I look at them and I realize what they weren't able to do in their lives. And because of that, how they instilled what I am able to do. So those are my mentors. Great, great. Love that response. And and thank you for sharing that with us. Pretty cool, Donnie. And, And I think, you know, one of the reasons why I am really enjoying this conversation is because I can tell that throughout your career, you have followed your passions in your career. And I think that is so important for people to realize that in order for you to excel, in order for you to be happy, you should follow your passions. And I'm curious to know for that college senior that may be listening to this right now and trying to figure out what their next step is, what advice would you have? Oh, wow. You know what? Actually, someone said this to me yesterday. My neighbor, actually. When I came back and I'm sitting on my balcony, which was my savior during COVID, let me tell you, 15 months in that house by myself, that balcony saved my life. Mm. Um, and I have it all done. I called it Italy because I was supposed to be in Italy that summer. <laughs> and, and I had flowers everywhere and there's seating and umbrellas. <laughs> so my neighbor, I came back and I've been gone, you know, to Peru. And she's like, oh, is that Donnie? She's like, I've been, I had someone staying in my place when I was gone. She's like, every day me and Bruce look out and we're like, oh, that's not the back of her head. (laughs) So yesterday she was so happy and she was asking me how is Peru and I'm telling her. And she said, you have a fabulous life, right? And I say that, and as you can see, I'm a storyteller. Every question you've given me, I tell you a story. I apologize. (laughs) I apologize. That's what this podcast is all about, so... (laughs) Definitely don't apologize for that. Hopefully our, our listeners are yeah, you're in the our right listeners place. are saying thank you for telling these stories. You're in, you're in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I would say to the senior. What is the fabulous life for you? I mean, I get it all the time. I get people who, and they'll pick the things that they like. Oh, how do you get to travel so much? How do you get to do this? How are you able to do that? How did this happen? And I tell them and they say, I wish I could do that. And I I say, you can. And again, like what I told you about when people find out for third culture kids and they imagine all the privileges those kids may have. And again, I want to point out if you're a migrant or a refugee or even an immigrant, 
those privileges may not be existent, right? So the picture that's painted is on top of the life the person already has, right? And so when people ask me, how can I do that? And I tell them how they can do it. They dismiss it often because they really don't want your life. They want their life plus your life, (laughs) right? They want to keep whatever it is they had, the sacrifices they didn't make, the work they didn't necessarily have to do, and the things that they love about their lives and have the things they love about your life, which there's nothing wrong with that. My whole thing, though, is to figure out how to do it for yourself, right? So how do you create a fabulous life for yourself? So if you're that senior and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm about to graduate. I can't change my major. Well, why not? Is that going to get you where you need to go? Think through what it is that you want to do, what you want your life to be, how you like want it to turn out and take the path to get you there. It's not always the easy path. And what's funny is the hard path is the easy path. It looks hard in the moment, but after you do it, you're like, oh, that's so much easier than what I would have done, right? And also I would say it's important to realize that it's not a straight path. You know, when I was in my 30s, I I mean, I had a great life then, a very different life than it looks like right now. You know, I was married. I was with my husband for over two decades He was everything on paper that you would imagine. Our life was everything on paper that you would imagine. And it was a great life until it wasn't, (laughs) right? And things happen that are unexpected that you have no control over. And people have to be prepared for that. So at 40, I started over, started over and had to rebuild who I was and what I wanted. And actually, I wouldn't have this life right now if I hadn't done that. So. That's what I would say to the senior. What's your fabulous life and how do you get there? Draw yourself a roadmap. And if the map changes, go with the flow and do what's necessary. Love that. Love that response. And thank you for sharing that. Okay. Fun question that I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast. And because you are a traveler, I'm expecting to hear some answers that I haven't heard before, but we'll, we'll see. No pressure. No pressure. So... <laughs> Give us the top three apps that you use on your phone on a regular basis, but you can't name you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Those are too boring, and, and everyone uses those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the top three, Instagram is one of the top ones. Oh, God. Instagram is endless inspiration for me. <laughs> and you know what's so funny? If I didn't have the magazine, I probably wouldn't be on social media. I'm actually pretty sure I wouldn't be on social media. And I'm grateful that I'm on social media because one, it keeps me young. (laughs) It's shocking just seeing all the trends and seeing things that my friends don't know about or can't do or whatever. So that's great. I love Instagram. Let's see. This is a recent new app that I use. And it's because of the 17,000 foot mountain that I inadvertently climbed <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, is the health app with the steps, right? Um, uh, okay. All right. Because then I had to look back and go, dang, how many steps did I do? Or when I was in Peru, man, we do these crazy things. And I think to myself, oh my gosh, I don't even do this. I live in Colorado. It's like health capital of the nation, right? People come here to water ski and 
climb mountains and hike all the time and bike and all of the, and I didn't do any of those things here. First of all, when I went to Columbia, it really reminded me of Colorado, but warm, right? And not so high. The Colorado sun really eats you. It's very, very high. I'm like, why don't I do these things in Colorado? So in Peru, we would walk from our apartment down to the shore, across the shore. Like we're talking miles, miles, miles. When we tell people who live there where we went, they're like, what, you took a cab? I'm like, no, we walked. And they look at you like, um, <laughs> oh, did you mean to do that? <laughs> we did it multiple times. So we'd walk up the shore because we were just discovering, right? Like, how do we get across this highway? There's gotta be a way, you know? And so we just keep walking and then we'd go back up. And Peru is very hilly, which by the way, a little tidbit, do you know it's Peru is the second largest desert in the world? Just wanted to let you know that. (laughs) I did not know that before. But because we would do random things like that all the time, I'm like, let me look how many, oh, 25,000 steps today. Okay, let's. (laughs) So the help app is the other one. And gosh, what's my third app? Now I feel like I need to look at my phone. Oh, oh, this is easy. What's that? Because I talk to people all over the world. I have three WhatsApp notifications just from sitting here. Those are my three. Well, Donnie, thanks so much for spending some great time with us and and teaching us about quite a few new things like hidden diversity and third culture and about your own experiences and, you know, how sometimes the hard path isn't the easy path, right? And also that influence can come from many places, even if you just spend a little bit of time with someone or something or that can certainly be influential. So, Donnie, thanks for hanging with us again. And everyone, thanks for listening to another episode. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again. Thank you.